Let me pray to begin with. Father, thank you so much for your amazing, life-changing book that you give us. Thank you for this amazing letter in Ephesians. And God, I want to pray, just like Paul prayed right at the beginning of it, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts this morning. God, I want to pray, Holy Spirit, you would be with us as the spirit of wisdom and understanding, Lord. I pray that we would understand things here that we've never seen before, Lord God. Not just so we've got a better Bible knowledge, but God, because it's an amazing treasure map which leads us to know you, Lord God. We love it, we want it, we want you, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Um, I think when James was here, James Lee, a couple of weeks ago, he alluded to the fact that, that he and I are both quite into uh, American football at the moment. In fact, he, um, a couple of months ago, he put me onto this show, which um, has kind of went out on Amazon Prime, uh, called All or Nothing. Anyone seen that? No. Okay, I can see it's going to go down well this morning. <laughs> and uh, so basically what they did was they embedded this film crew uh, with uh, the Arizona Cardinals, who at the time were quite a good team, um, through the entire season. So they kind of went through from before the draft, and they had exclusive access to the locker room and to the coaches and all the game footage and all this kind of stuff. And it was, it was a really good documentary to kind of see how the season unfolded and get into the lives of all of these players and stuff. So... This is all by way of saying, actually, if, if most of my illustrations for the next little while come from, uh, from the world of American football, then you'll just have to bear with me. And if you don't like that, then we'll pray for you at the end or something. So it's, we're coming now to the kind of the central point in the book of Ephesians. So we're tipping into chapter four. We're halfway through the book. And um, I, I was reflecting on it this week. And I feel like this chapter, in many ways, is a bit like what they would call in the NFL a trap game. So a trap game is, if, I want you to imagine your team is, is, is riding high in the league. They've not lost much. Um, you know, they've got serious kind of ambitions to go all the way to the Super Bowl or whatever sport it is that you're following. And um, generally, at some point in the season, you'll end up like with a late-in-the-week game, a late-in-the-day game against a team that's languishing at the bottom of the league. And you go in thinking, right, this is going to be easy. This is going to be a walkover. I'll get this. No problem at all. And you kind of go in there a little bit unprepared, and suddenly you end up being slapped down with a loss that you weren't expecting. And, and in many ways, it kind of feels like chapter 4 and chapter 5, where we're going to be digging into today, feels a little bit like that. It, in one sense, actually, they are by far and away the most straightforward, easy to understand, down-to-earth portions of this book. Because what's been happening is over the first three chapters, Paul has been building this beautiful but quite complicated layer upon layer explanation of the amazing relationship with God that we've come into, those of us that have become Christians. And um, if you've ever tried to read the book of Ephesians, and, and I hope you will as we go through this, you'll, you'll know that it's, there's some amazing, just incredible, breathtaking stuff in there. But it's, it's quite tricky to unpick, isn't it? Let's be honest. And actually now, this book pivots at this point, And instead of kind of building up this multi-layered kind of explanation, suddenly he, he becomes intensely practical. And it's a whole load of kind of stuff about our lifestyle. And you get to it and you think, oh, I, I, can, I can get on board with this. I can understand this. this is just, just tell me what to do, Paul. I understand that. And that's great. Uh, here's where the trap is, though, I think. Actually, if these chapters begin to look suspiciously like a list of rules, a list of commandments, a list of do's and don'ts. If we don't understand them in the context of where Paul is kind of going with his big thread, 
And we can kind of come to this place where we think, oh, well, I, I thought I was saved by grace. I thought that God had taken away the, the, you know, all, the, all the commandments and the rules and the legislation of my life, and I was free to live for him, and I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. And, oh, but I guess there's kind of this Christian version then, isn't there? Sort of, you know, the Ten Commandments rebooted for the modern age, and, and here I, here, you know, here's all the, now I'm a Christian, this is what I've got to do then. And I think if we see it in that way, that would be tragic, because actually that flies in the face of everything that Paul has been trying to do through his entire letter. So let's just, I'm going to take you on the two-minute version of, of, of where we've been here. So right back in chapter one, Paul begins by, by saying, actually, those of us that have become Christians have landed this stupendously huge inheritance. I don't know if you've ever come into a lot of wealth by inheritance or know someone who has. i I had a teacher at school who sort of turned up one day with this amazing car and he just bought this huge new house and it, it turned out he just inherited this, this incredible wealth. And, and, and Paul begins to unpack this inheritance. And you kind of think, well, I think I talked about this a, a few weeks ago, didn't I? Actually, you know, often, often as Christians, we're, we're trying to think of it as an inheritance as something we're going to enter into when we die. Well, that's not actually what the word inheritance means, is it? An inheritance is something that we receive when someone else passes away. And so actually, as, as Jesus has passed away, he's brought us into this amazing inheritance. And we think, well, what's that going to mean? Do we get a mansion in heaven? Or, you know, is, there, is he talking about prosperity? Or is, he, is it just happiness? Or what, 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 what is he bringing us into? And we can see in, in, in various places in Scripture, and, and, and indeed here, that, 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 that Paul is saying, actually, the greatest possible conceivable gift that God could ever give us is himself. Right? It's relationship with himself. The gospel isn't just a transaction. It's not just a ticket out of heaven, not just a ticket out of hell. Actually, it's an amazing reconciled relationship where we get to know him personally and intimately. You know, I was reflecting this morning, you know, actually... For, for us, intimacy with God, knowing him, isn't the icing on the cake. It's not the kind of the nice uh, chocolate brownie dessert that we get to bring out every now and again as a treat, but really we need to get back to the bread and butter. It is the bread and butter. It's the reason that we were made. It's the goal of our salvation. Sorry, I'm spending way too long on this, but I love it. And, uh, <laughs> and I will get into chapter four, I promise. And, 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 then, he, and then he says we, we have this incredible down payment. The minute we become Christians, he says we receive this down payment of our inheritance, who is the promised Holy Spirit. I think I talked about this as well. I said, actually, if I, you know, if I go and put a down payment on a new telly or a new car or something, what I'm doing is I'm giving an initial installment of something, money, on the understanding that I'm going to be progressively, incrementally paying more and more of the same until the person's received the fullness of whatever it was, right, of the money in this case. So Paul is setting us up for this expectation as Christians that as we grow and as we move on in our Christian life, we're going to incrementally receive and host more and more of his presence as we're transformed from the inside out. And then we get into chapter 2, and just at that moment where we start thinking, right, well, you know what, you know, this is obviously for the super holy ones. These are, these are for the, this is for the people who, through all their prayer and their meditation and their self-discipline and the, you know, the real anchoring of their life, they've managed to achieve this sort of standard where God can finally bless them with this amazing inheritance. And Paul just, just puts the kibosh on all of that right from the very beginning. He's, he, he says, no, 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 not any single one of us was even remotely close to anything like that standard. He actually says, do you know how I want to describe the condition of your spiritual life? He says it was dead. You know, in case we get any, any pretenses that we're going to be kind of achieving or earning or, or rule-keeping our way into, into any of these things, he says, no, 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 you were dead. And he goes on to describe the picture actually that we were in. 
He says it is a gift. It is surely by grace. There's not a a rule-keeping aspect of this religion. You're not being invited into religion. You're being invited into a reconciled relationship. That's what the gospel is. It's a reconciled relationship. And he keeps, he keeps using this word access. He says we have this constant access to, to the Father, to where our inheritance is, through knowing the Holy Spirit. And then he layers up another layer. And he says, actually, it's not just you and your personal relationship with God and knowing him and being filled with him, changed from the inside out. He, he kind of begins to describe us as, as like bricks. And he says, like bricks, God is putting you together with other bricks, other Christians, and he's cementing us together. And what begins to emerge is this kind of building where... Uh, he kind of describes it as a temple and he says that not just you personally but then all of us here at the bottom of chapter two he says we're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit a place where he lives that's his expectation not just that God would turn up occasionally on a particularly good Sunday morning but he wants to be a dwelling place for us and then he gets into the next chapter and he says well that's that's an amazing hope to which we have been called isn't it not a, not a fanciful hope, but this expectation of good. And he says, well, in that case, then, here's, the, here's how I would naturally pray for you. You know, it seems sensible to me now, then, that this is how I would pray. And he says, I'm praying for you guys. These are pretty new Christians that he's praying for. And he says, I pray that, that you'd be strengthened with power by the Spirit deep down in your inner self. We might say, like, in the innermost part of us, you know, deep down in the core of who we are, he's praying that the Holy Spirit's going to strengthen you here. And what's going to happen then is, is you're going to be able to start understanding something. You're going to get a grasp on something you never got before. And it's just the enormity of God's love for you. It's the, the breadth and the height and the, and the depth. And he says, when you get that, something amazing is going to happen. He says that you're going to know the love of Christ, this is verse 19, that surpasses knowledge. And you take a look at that and think, hang on, Paul, what are you talking about? How can you know something which is beyond knowledge, that, that's, that's not possible. You kind of need to delve back into his original language. He's using a couple of different words which don't come across well in the English. But what he's saying is, I'm expecting that when, when this happens, you're going to enter into a knowledge by experience. In other words, you're going to come into a, an experience of something that you could never fully grasp with your rational mind. In other words, you could read every single one of the tens of thousands of volumes of theology that have ever been written in history about God's magnificent love, and you'd still only have scratched the surface. You, you could never get your, your mind around it. But he's saying when the Holy Spirit works this in us, what happens is we begin to enter into, by experience, the good, and we begin to live in that incredible love. We'll, we'll never fully get our heads around it, although it's good to try. But he's saying you're going to enter into this tangible experience of his love for you. And he's then he said, well, when that happens, what happens is that you are going to be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, you're not just going to be sat there with your little down payment anymore. Your, your, your first installment, actually, you're going to grow incrementally as a community of people together. We receive the fullness of him. It's possible. And, and Paul says, when we get into chapter 4, the second word in my translation, he says, therefore... And then he launches into this bit where we're coming to. So he says, actually, in the light of this incredible gift that we have, this incredible calling that we have to host the presence of God here on earth, to be his people, full of his presence, full of his passion, where salvation happens, where the gospel is preached, where people are healed, where lives are changed, where we live a completely radically different heavenly life. In light of that, well, actually, this is how we live then. This is how we 
This is how we make our patterns of life as individuals and as a community of people in such a way that we attract and draw in like a magnet more and more of that glory and presence of God and we repel him less. You know, I, I think I've, I've talked to you loads of times. I, I became a believer at school and um, I'd had no kind of Christian upbringing. I think I'd probably literally been to church that wasn't a school chapel service once in my life. That wasn't a happy experience particularly. If you imagine the kind of stereotype of the sort of cold, dusty, literally cold, dark and dusty, very much so in the middle of this cold winter's day. Uh, I went with my year four class, I think, and I, I, I didn't have any kind of idea of, of, of what I could be coming into. And then I ran into this company of people who just, just knew God and were alive inside in, in, in a way that I'd never experienced or known anyone could be alive before. And for me, becoming a Christian wasn't so much a kind of a heaven and hell transaction. It wasn't like, I've got to get my, my, my ticket into the pearly gates, at least not at first. But it was that sense of, I've got to know this God in the way that they do. I've got to know this God who heals their sicknesses, who, who, who casts out their depression, who speaks and takes people on amazing adventures and, and turns the world upside down. I've got to know this one, like Paul's describing in, in these first three chapters here. And actually, if it means, if I've got to, if I've got to turn away from the kind of lifestyle, the kind of rubbish, sinful lifestyle that I've been living, then that's great. I don't even really like that lifestyle much anymore. <laughs> I don't, I, in the light of what I'm seeing here, that, that, that seems like nothing. This is why, why Jesus gave us this illustration, didn't he? He said, it's kind of like a man who's, who's, who's walking through a field and, and he stumbles across, just buried underneath the surface, this, this treasure, this, you know, unimaginably priceless wealth. And the pennies start dropping for him quite quickly and he suddenly begins to realize how life transformational this is. And, and, he's, and, he, and he thinks, hang on, this, this could be mine, actually, if I only owned the land that it was buried under. And he begins to count the cost very quickly in his head. You know, Jesus invited us to count the cost, didn't he? I don't think he, I don't think he meant that. So we could have a look and think, oh, blimey. There's I, I, just so much to turn my back on. I, I, I just don't think I can do this. I think he invited us to do this. So like this man, he could look and say, hang on a minute. Okay, I need to sell my house. I need to sell my car. I need to sell the rest of it. But, but I get him. I enter into this, this life that will, that, will, that will be as fulfilling and as, and as transformational as anything I could imagine. Of course I'm going there. Of course I'm turning that away. It's what it means to count the cost for us. And so when Paul begins to, to speak here in, in, in chapters 4 and 5, he's, he's inviting us to, to, to let go of our old ways of thinking. He's inviting us to let go of our old habits of life. Not because we're bound by rules, not because our acceptance before God is based on anything that we do, but because this is how, as, as people, we live as a community of people who are full of him. This is what we do to host his presence. I think if, if you, I'm not going to unpack every single verse here in these two chapters because um, I haven't got long enough, but I'm gonna, I just want to give us some parameters this morning to begin to, 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 to immerse ourselves in this and to begin to, uh, to think about these things. I think if you, if, if you want something that, that really kind of gives you the nub of what Paul's getting at here, then, then, then zero in in chapter 4. I'm just going to read a couple of verses, starting from, from verse 22. He's kind of beginning to use this metaphor of, of, of clothes and, and, and what we wear. And so he says, what, what I'm talking about is put off your old self. Or I suppose we might say our old identity, our old manner of life which belongs to, oh, here it is, which belongs to your former manner of life 
and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And he says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, or, or, or I like to, to kind of translate it, be, have your minds renewed by the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and then put on, like a set of clothing, put on the new self, put on your new identity, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So getting back to the NFL, so um, a couple of years ago, sorry, um, th- this team, the Cardinals, were riding high. They, it was mid-season they only lost a couple of games. They had some serious Super Bowl aspirations. But they suddenly got beset by a load of injuries. In one game, their two-star running backs got injured at the same time and were out for the rest of the season. Next game, their reserve running back was injured and out for the rest of the season. And they suddenly found themselves in this place where actually they were, um, they were like, you know, hang on, we've got a game on Sunday. And we literally don't have anybody on our roster who is fit to play this position. So they did what a team would do in, in this kind of scenario. Is they, they began to look at the market for a free agent. In other words, a, a player who's got a track record, he's got some experience in the league, but, but for whatever reason, he's not currently playing. He's not currently in the game. Maybe his contract ran out somewhere else. He got too expensive, whatever it was. And, and eventually, they, they, they rang up this guy who he's got, you know, had a, a good history in the game. He was an experienced player, but he'd, he'd lost his contract. And basically, he spent the last couple of years of his life sat on his sofa, eating junk food, watching telly, watching other people play the sport that, that he loves. And they give this guy a call and said, hey, you know, we, we've seen some film of you. We think, you know, we need someone with, with some experience to fit in this position. Um, you know, can we fly you out to Arizona? We're going we're gonna to get you to kind of spend a couple of days with our training team and, and we'll see how it goes. And, and, and he comes out and, he, and he's really rusty and he's really ropey and he's got a bit of a belly on him and... But you can see that they like the look of him. They can, see the, they can see the talent in him. And there's this wonderful moment in the show where, where he's got his contract and, and, he, and, and, and they pass him his new shirt. They pass him his team jersey with his, with his team number and his name on it. Arizona Cardinals over the front of it. And he takes off his old kind of, you know, tatty old gray tracksuit or whatever he's been training in. And just there's almost like a transformation on his face as he puts this new thing on and he suddenly begins to step into his identity now. He suddenly, he suddenly kind of shakes off that whole kind of sofa-dwelling, TV-watching, junk-food-eating kind of way of life. And suddenly, he, he puts this thing on, and he's, he, he becomes who he now is. He starts to think like a cardinal. He starts to train like a cardinal. He's like, I'm getting into the mentality of a championship team. I'm getting match fit. I'm getting ready. And you can see it. Like they, they tracked him over the next couple of days. His whole demeanor, his whole way of life, his whole way of thinking had changed. And it wasn't legalism for him. It wasn't, it wasn't kind of like this, oh, well, I, you know, it's going to be this massive sacrifice. Now, this is what he lived for. You could see he's becoming like, hang on a minute. This is, this is the moment. I get to be in with these guys in the best facilities, with the best coaches, on a team which is on its way to the top. I, I, I can't wait to get rid of all of this muck. I can't get, wait to get rid of that, that kind of lifestyle that I was living. He wasn't enjoying sitting on the couch, on the couch kind of shoving his face with fries. This is what he'd been living for. This is what he'd been dreaming for. And he enters into it. And Paul says, actually, what you need to do, you've come into this amazing relationship with God. You've entered into this incredible inheritance. You've been built together with others as God's people. Actually, there are things that we need to do to shake off that old mentality, to shake off that old way of life, which isn't fitting, which isn't conducive to having a life full of God. And he begins just to unpack really practically some simple things. He talks about things which actually will attract and will draw in more and more of God, that God loves. 
And he talks about some things that will grieve God. We talk here in, in verse 30. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, the Holy Spirit, we can make him happy. The Bible says we can bring him pleasure. We can bring God delight. So it says we can grieve him. We can quench him. We can cause him just to, just to quietly withdraw. So I just want to, we're not going to unpack every single thing here. I just want to draw in on a, on a couple of things that I believe God has put on my heart this week as we look at. And the first, I think, the, the first thing Paul addresses, I think, is probably his most important thing. He says, actually, we, we want to be a community of people that host his presence, that live together, that, that bring the gospel to the world, everything else. Our unity together is of paramount importance. Let me read you these first few verses in chapter, in chapter 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Everything he's been talking about. With humility gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So priority number one, you want to be a community of people, you want to be a church of people living full of God. Priority number one, unity. Do you know how much God just delights in and desires our unity? There's there's a handful of passages around scripture where it kind of feels like God is He's not struggling, don't get me wrong, but he's almost like he's straining for a metaphor, something that he can use to kind of explain to us how how precious this is to him. If you've got your Bible with you, just flick over quickly to Psalm 133. I love this psalm. It just kind of communicates something of God's heart about this. He says, Behold, how good, this is God, and how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. And then he picks up on a metaphor, which seems a bit strange at first, but we'll dig into it. He says, it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. You think, hang on on a minute, God, he lost me there. What? Who was Aaron? Aaron was was, was the high priest. If I can put it in our modern vernacular, he was the worship leader, not just of of a church or a congregation, but of the entire nation of God's people. We've talked about how we can grieve, we can quench the spirit, we can quench God, but actually in the same way, we can bring him intense delight and pleasure. He loves, he loves when the people that he's rescued, the people that he's redeemed come and they express their love and they express their worship and they express their thanksgiving. It thrills and delights his heart. So I want you to imagine how precious then to God must be the anointing, the spiritual gifting that comes upon the bloke whose job it is to lead not just a congregation, but the entire nation of people to God in worship. Do you think that that just must be the most precious thing in the universe? And it's almost like God is straining for a metaphor. How how can I show them how how important it is to me that we live together united? It's it's like the anointing that comes on Aaron. It's like that. That's how I feel about it. That's how I feel about it. And Paul kind of zeroes in on this as priority number one. And actually, I think you, you show me a church anywhere in the world that loves one another, that that forgives one another, that gets reconciled to one another when there's disunity, that, 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 that lines up behind their leaders, whether we understand what's going on or whether we think they might be making right decisions or not, who looks for those who are on the outside, the periphery of community, the people that are different, the people from different races and ages and background and walks of life and social demographic, demographics, and we, and we cross over those barriers of awkwardness and we bring them into the heart of our community. You show me a church that does that, and I guarantee you, 
I'll show you a church full of the presence and glory of God. Where the gospel breaks out, where people get saved, where people get healed, where God is on the move. That's how it works. He says it's priority number one. Come back into Ephesians. There's, there's, there's loads of other things we could look at here. Things that he says, this, this is how we do it. This is how we, we live together in such a way that we host his presence. I want to look at on the, on the flip side of it as well. There's, there's a whole load of things here which Paul just puts his finger on and says, hey, these things are stifling you. These things are grieving the spirit of God amongst you. He picks up on things like he talks about actually being dishonest with one another. It breaks our unity. You know, when as a, as a people, actually, if, 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 we've got, if we've got lying to one another, if we've got broken relationships, if we've got just the sense of disillusionment and disharmony together as a church, it's kind of like a bucket with loads of holes in it, isn't it? You can pour, God can pour as much of his Holy Spirit in there as we want. We can pour as much energy and time and money and serving and praying and everything else as we want in that. And it's just going to fall straight through our fingers. He says we, we, we can't lie to one another. We're members of one another. He talks about, he talks about the, the way we deal with one another, our anger, snapping at one another. He talks about impurity, sexual impurity in our thinking, in our, in our acting. He talks, about the, he talks about our words, just... You know, using words which are just, just rude and profane and not helpful. He talks about that kind of rude joking. He talks about getting drunk. He says these things, that they're grieving the spirit. They're causing the joy and the life that you have in God to, to be absent from you. I was just thinking about this this week. And it kind of struck me that I, I might be wrong. I might be reading it wrong. It kind of feels like Paul isn't really assuming that there's any like premier league sin going on in this church he kind of feels like a lot of the things that we that he's talking about we 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 might think of as kind of like petty sin i'm not i'm not trying to belittle anything like you know sin is sin is what it is but it it kind of feels like actually he's you know it's it's not like say for example corinth where you know there's some crazy stuff going on and people sleeping with their mothers-in-law and and all You, you don't get the impression that this is the kind of thing he's talking about he talks about, for example, sexual impurity, but you don't get the sense that you know, anyone's having an affair or anything that would be big news. But it's just that sense of that kind of gnawing worldliness, which kind of just has this attritional effect on our joy and our peace in the presence of God. You know, it's, it's hard, isn't it, sometimes, when, when we hear stories of like, you know, a really well-known Christian leader who falls into some spectacular sin, and you know, we know them and love them and trusted them, and and, and it's, it's a tragedy, isn't it? It's, it's horrible. But, but actually, something I find almost just as depressing is, is that sense of, actually, I don't know, millions probably of everyday Christians across the world who, who we, we give away the joy and the life and the peace that, that God has given us as a gift in the Holy Spirit. Not, not because of any great spectacular sin, but just because of, I don't know, dumb stuff. <laughs> And, and I feel like God would just want to call us this morning and call us back. And I'm, I'm going to finish here. I, um, I just kind of feel like this, this, this probably speaks to many of us. And maybe it's this, this issue of unity. You know, actually, we've, we've gone through so much as a church in the last few years, so much that we didn't plan for, so much that wasn't expected. You know what? I think that there have probably been abundant opportunities to be offended with one another. I can say that because I've been there. 
Maybe it's, on, maybe it's with your boss at work. Maybe you kind of, I've been in this place in, in, my, in my secular role. You know, you, you look at what's going on and you think, what are you doing? And then you get into a level of leadership yourself and you begin to get more of the facts. And you think, uh, oh, I see. I know where this was. Now I feel like a fool. Maybe it's just with national leaders. Maybe, you, maybe you're so riled up about Donald Trump or Jeremy Corbyn or something. It just gets away. I don't know. It kind of feels like we need to join back together. And I believe God is calling us this morning. If you're dealing with some of that stuff, if there's someone you need to be reconciled to, if there's something you're carrying a hurt and offense about, you're probably right. You're probably right. You're probably right. Let's, let's bring it to God. Let's bring it to God. Let's let it go. Let's be joined to one another. Maybe it's that sense of, of just sin in your life and you feel actually... you. I'm sure we've all been there, haven't we? Those moments where actually you know, we're walking with God and we're letting him lead and, and, and we're, you know, God, the Spirit is just directing our life and then, well, then we step out into some kind of sin. We, we get angry with our kids. We, I don't know. It's not, not something that's going to be broadcast everywhere. Not Premier League sin, but just these things that I just know I just lost the peace of God in that moment. They have this attritional effect on our walk with him and God would say, just, just walk away from that stuff. I heard the story ages ago of a guy who went to the cinema with his mates, and um, there's a massive queue. So they, they figured out if they used the electronic ticket machine, then it would save them a bunch of time. And on the, on the electronic ticket machine, you have to pick which ticket you want, and you can easily pick an under-16 ticket, which will save you a couple of quid, and there's nobody checking how old you are. So he goes up, and, and, and he goes up to the screen, and, and, and he chooses the full-price adult ticket. His mates are like, what are you doing? You just you know, press the button there, it'll save you a couple of quid. He thinks, well, yeah, that wouldn't be right. Wouldn't be right. And his, guy, and his mates go to, but, but it's just a couple of quid, isn't it? And he said, yes, but I don't want to give away my integrity for the sake of a couple of pounds. And actually, there's that sense that sometimes what, what we do is, is we, we, we give away that, that sense of joy, our sense of peace, and we let go of our walk with God, not over some spectacular sin, but over, over these little things. Shall we stand together? I'm just going to lead us in prayer, if that's all right. I love this verse at the beginning of, of the book of Hebrews. And it's, it's God the Father talking about Jesus. Or talk, yeah, talking to Jesus. Sorry, Nick. And he says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. And therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness, or some, some say the oil of joy, more than any of your companions. In other words, if out of anyone who's ever lived, there was no one who carried more joy in their life than Jesus, despite everything he went through. He had that spiritual gift of joy because he loved righteousness and he hated wickedness. I felt God speak to me about this a couple of months ago. I think Josephine actually brought it to me as a verse and God just kind of rolled on from there. And he said, actually, if, if, if you or if anybody else is, is, is anticipating, is looking, is striving for joy, you're looking around, you're thinking, when, when can I have joy in my life? If you're entertaining these things, they'll draw you away from him. It's not legalism. God's not walked away from you. But come and get rid of all the muck. Take off your old gray tracksuit and put on your jersey. Can I pray for us? Can we pray together, actually? If you just want to pray with me, sometimes this is helpful, I think. And um, I'm just going to pray for this first issue for people who feel like you're carrying a sense of disharmony with anyone around us here as a church, anywhere else. And then I'm just going to pray really generically over different aspects of sin. So 
Can I, can I do it so I pray a bit and you pray a bit? Is that all right with everybody? And I don't want to be weird. <laughs> Is that good? Okay, Father. Go for it. Father. I turn away from times that I've held on to hurt. With people in this church, where I work, with my family, with my leaders, I choose to let go of these things. I pray your blessing on those people. Father, I want to take off my old way of life. I'm sorry when I quench your spirit. Do you lead me into amazing joy and a love of what is good? Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit and come and dwell in this church. With amazing power. power. And all the people said? Amen, amen. amen. I'm going to hand over to Matt and um, we're going to worship.